welcome to the third episode of One Christian Thinks, a podcast that examines current events, politics, worldview, and ideologies from an explicitly Christian perspective. I am your host, Mike Hutton. If this is your first time listening, I ask that you press pause and listen to the first episode, where I introduce the show, my motivations, and give some guiding principles. I also recommend listening to the previous episode, where I started the discussion on the organization Black Lives Matter, and in particular, its foundation of identity politics. This episode is a continuation of that topic, where I examine the claims Black Lives Matter is making regarding racism and the systemic oppression of black people across America. get into today's topic, I want to highlight something that came up, which ties very well into the previous episode on Black Lives Matter and identity politics. If you care to follow sports, you may have noticed some changes in the professional sports leagues that have resumed playing again following the COVID-19 lockdown. Many of the leagues, basketball, baseball, and others, are showing full support for Black Lives Matter. Perhaps the most obvious example of this is the NBA, but it's not the only league doing this. Since the protests after George Floyd's death, the NBA has, for example, emblazoned basketball courts with the Black Lives Matter logo in big black letters. Many of the players wear Black Lives Matter t-shirts as warm-up gear, and for the first four days of gameplay, players could put their favorite social justice slogan on their jersey instead of their name. With all of that as background, one particular basketball game stands out, and in that game, one particular man, a giant in both the literal and metaphorical sense, stood tall above all other players. The game was between the Orlando Magic and Brooklyn Nets on July 31st. While every other player wore a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, and every other player, coach, and referee knelt during the American anthem to express support for Black Lives Matter. Jonathan Isaac, 22 years old, in only his second year in the NBA, standing 6 feet 11 inches tall, towered over everyone else on the court, refusing to kneel beside his teammates, his white jersey sharply contrasting the dark Black Lives Matter t-shirts. What was his reason? When interrogated by a reporter for his actions, he had a few things to say as an ordained Christian minister. Here is part of his statement, and I quote, We all make mistakes, but I think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is that there is grace for us, and that Jesus came and died for our sins, and that we all will come to an understanding of that, an understanding that God wants to have a relationship with us that we can get past skin color, we can get past all the things in our world that are messed up, jacked up. I think when you look around, racism isn't the only thing that afflicts our society, that plagues our nation, that plagues our world. I feel like coming together on that message, that we want to get past not only racism, but everything that plagues us as a society, I feel like the answer to it is the gospel. And then responding to another question, I feel like for me, 
Black lives are supported through the gospel. All lives are supported through the gospel. That we all, like I said, have things that we do wrong. We all fall short of God's glory. And that at the end of the day, whoever will humble themselves and see God and repent of their sins, that we could see it in a different light, see people's evil in a different light. It would help bring us closer together and get past skin color, get past anything that's on the surface that doesn't really deal with the hearts of men and women. Unquote. Amen, brother. I couldn't agree more. You showed far more courage than anyone else on that court by standing when everyone else was kneeling. Moving on now to today's topic, the claims that Black Lives Matter makes, those of systemic racism. When I started writing this episode, I quickly realized that there was far more to talk about than I originally thought. So with this episode, we will specifically discuss racism. There's a lot of pretty heavy material here, so today's episode will be a little shorter than usual, but it will help pave the way into the next episode. So the first thing I want to ask in this discussion is this. What is racism? That's an easy question, right? A typical definition of racism, which you might have grown up understanding, goes something like this. Believing that one's own race is inherently superior to another and acting on that belief. Not a difficult concept, right? Okay, so what's wrong with racism according to that definition? What's wrong with believing that white people are inherently better than black people, for example? Oh, come on. That question doesn't even have to be asked. Everyone knows racism is wrong, right? Well, not so fast. This is a very important question. Take, for example, the most dominant theory of the origin of man, the theory of evolution. The theory of evolution is taught in almost every institution, in every school, at every level, as essentially settled science. The most logical explanation for how every animal species, including man, came to be. Without a doubt, most of the people who support Black Lives Matter view the theory of evolution as a credible explanation for man's origin. It's just so widely taught. So let's look at it a little closer. The theory of evolution was first spelled out in a comprehensive form by Charles Darwin in his book On the Origin of Species. Since then, his theory has been edited built on, fleshed out, and altogether accepted as science. But the full title of his book has been forgotten, and for good reason. The actual title is On the Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection, or The Preservation of Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. The very title of his book tells the reality of the theory of evolution, a reality that, that can't be shaken even if the title can be forgotten. The preservation of favored races in the struggle for life. The theory of evolution can't denounce racism. In fact, it would support it based on the premise that the strongest will survive. The race that comes out on top will be the strongest and 
most fit for survival and reproduction. In fact, then racism would probably be good. And in fact, Darwin's theories were used to support 19th and 20th century eugenicist movements. Several academics have even argued quite persuasively that Adolf Hitler's ethic was influenced by Charles Darwin. Intent on looking for more explanations, I did an internet search of the phrase, why is racism wrong? The results didn't offer much clarity either. Some said that racism is just plain wrong without an explanation. Other sites pointed out the negative effects of racism on the victims, to which I'm tempted to respond as a so-called devil's advocate. Yes, evolution is pretty tough on the species or races that don't survive. And then I found a very interesting academic paper written 12 years ago, in which it is argued that what makes racism wrong is simply and solely that it entails omitting treating every person as a bearer of equal dignity and worth. This is a very interesting statement, and somehow sounds vaguely familiar. Every person is a bearer of equal dignity and worth. Where does that come from? Does the theory of evolution state that? Not a chance. The author of the paper did not really make this link, but that statement sounds very distinctly like the biblical message. That man is made in the image of God, and thus every man must be treated with the dignity and respect that is due to God's image bearer, as Wayne Grudem puts it, seen in a previous episode. And so, only because every individual person is made in the image of God, do we have an absolute reason for why racism is wrong. A reason that simply doesn't exist in any other worldview. While I won't go further into it here, I would argue that no other worldview can condemn racism in the same absolute sense as Christianity. So we can see, the Black Lives Matter supporters who engage in protesting, rioting, violence, and destruction actually have a biblical principle as their most basic statement, that racism is wrong. They actually have a biblical ideal implied in their stated goals, that every person is treated with equal dignity and respect. But tuck that thought into the back of your mind for now. Because the definition of racism that you grew up understanding has changed. So, if today you go to an up-to-date version of the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, you will find under the word racism, the definition, a political or social system founded on racism. Now, just ignore the self-referential aspect of that definition. That's not the worst part of it. Typically, if a political or social system is founded on racism, we would call that systemic racism, where racism infiltrates every aspect of the political or social power structure. So, systemic racism could be seen in the apartheid in South Africa, or historical slavery in the States, or residential schools in Canada. Those are all examples of systemic racism. 
But rather than continuing to refer to this as systemic racism, the word systemic has been dropped, and now it's just racism. I know, self-referential definitions are confusing and just plain bad. But the implications of this definition are worse. The implication is that if racism is defined by the power structure, be it social or political, then those who do not hold a position of power cannot be racist. So, for example, many people believe that black people, because they are said to be oppressed, cannot be racist. Black people are oppressed, they do not have political or social power, and thus they cannot be racist. So, in the recent case of George Floyd, a black man being killed by Derek Chauvin, a white police officer, immediately charges of racism and white supremacy were leveled against Chauvin. According to the original definition of racism, there was no evidence for that. But if you agree with the second definition of racism, you have all the evidence you need. Derek Chauvin held a position of power, first because he's white, and second because he's a cop, and in that position of power, he oppressed and killed George Floyd. The only explanation for that is racism. Or at least, that's the only explanation, if that's the explanation you want. But in a more recent case of a black man allegedly executing a five-year-old white boy on the front yard of his family home in front of his sisters, no cries of racism were heard. Indeed, the media almost failed to cover the story at all. But of course, the black man couldn't have been racist, because he was part of an oppressed group and thus didn't have the power to actually be racist. Now, I'm not saying that he was racist or acted out of racism. I'm just using this as an example. White on black crime, immediately racist. Black on white crime, it can't be racist. Remember how I said that Black Lives Matter protesters have a biblical ideal implied in their stated goals? Well, this redefinition of the word racism is what happens when you try to maintain a biblical ideal, but throw away the absolute reason for that ideal. The protesters are attempting to hold on to the biblical ideal of equal dignity and respect for all people, but they throw away God who is the absolute reason for that ideal. But hold on, because the definition of racism has changed again. This change is too recent to be included in dictionaries, but within the halls of academia, this definition is taught to anyone who will hear it. Yes, I know, this is, this is getting confusing. I'm sorry for dragging you into this, but we're here now. What's the new definition of racism? Well, one way of stating it is that racism is a system of advantage based on skin color. What does this mean? The idea that racism is a system of advantage based on skin color means that any disparity or difference between people of different skin colors must be due to racism. There can be no other explanation. So, for example, if... Black people in general are poorer than white people in general. That difference must be due to racism. 
This definition also means that if you support a political or social system that has resulted in disparities between skin colors, you also must be racist. Currently, the Western political system has been deemed racist by Black Lives Matter and similar protesters. So if you support the Western political system, or even further, if you do not support tearing it down completely, you are racist. If you say all lives matter instead of black lives matter, you are racist. If you do not post a black square to social media for Blackout Tuesday, you are racist. If you believe that police funding should be maintained, you're racist. Basically, if you're white and you do not grovel at the feet of Black Lives Matter, you're probably racist. Now, why is all of this so important? It used to be that the term racism defined something that was morally wrong because it went against the biblical standard that all people are made in the image of God and thus are to be treated with equal respect and dignity. This implies an absolute morality. Racism is wrong because you are disrespecting someone made in the image of God and thus disrespecting God himself. But with the changing definition, the morality of racism is no longer absolute. Racism is no longer defined by the biblical standard or by God himself. Instead, racism and morality is defined by where you sit in the political or social power structure. For example, white people are thought of as having a leg up compared to black people. They have an inherent advantage simply because of skin color. No matter how poor they are, white people have more social power than their black counterparts. So, white people can be racist to black people, but black people cannot be racist to white people. In fact, some even claim that all white people are inherently racist simply because of their skin color. I'm not making this up. There are many articles claiming that all white people are racist, even though they might not know it themselves. So, morality is no longer based on an absolute standard set by God. Instead, morality is based on your position in society. This is a very important point to note, and one that has many implications that we'll discuss later. So, if you are perceived to hold a privileged or advantaged spot in society, and you desire to maintain that spot, you are automatically labeled racist. But if you are in the opposite situation and are perceived to be oppressed, you can loot, steal, destroy, and tear apart businesses and lives without having your conscience so much as pricked. Here's a couple recent examples. On August 10th, Chicago's branch of Black Lives Matter rallied in support of protesters who had been arrested. Okay, there might be justification for that at face value. But here's where things get interesting. Ariel Atkins, who is an organizer for Chicago Black Lives Matter, said about this rally, and I quote, I don't care if someone decides to loot a Gucci or a Macy's or a Nike store, because that makes sure that person eats. That makes sure that person has clothes. That is reparations. 
anything they wanted to take, they can take it because these businesses have insurance. Unquote. And then a couple days later, Black Lives Matter protesters in Seattle protested in a wealthy residential area of the city, demanding that the white homeowners give up their homes to the black people as reparations for past injustices. In both cases, morality is no longer based on an absolute standard that applies to all people the same. Instead, in these cases, morality is dependent on your level of social power, particularly how rich you are. The belief is that the business owners in the first example and the homeowners in the second have both oppressed the general black population. Even if they haven't done anything explicitly racist, just the fact that they have more, a better business or a nicer home, means they must be oppressors. They're labeled racist simply by virtue of having more. More money, more comfort, more power. And the black people, well, the black people are oppressed, which means the typical standard of morality does not apply to them. They can loot, smash, steal, and demand other people give them things. None of that is morally wrong because they don't have the money, the comfort, or the power. The very fact that Black Lives Matter has gained so much support and so many people go along with this, entertaining their demands and neglecting to condemn the looting and destruction, shows how far we, as a society, have fallen from the absolute biblical moral standard. The morality that originally defined racism as evil has been swept aside, so any behavior can be defined as evil, simply by labeling it racism. Now, why was it important to go into this in so much detail? Does the redefining of the word racism really matter? Through the redefinition of the word racism, people are also redefining morality. Instead of being content with the desire to be like God, knowing both good and evil, society is instead putting themselves as God by actually defining good and evil. Rather than knowing good and evil and being like God, as in the fall into sin in Genesis 3, we are defining good and evil and becoming our own gods. So is there a solution to all of this? Well, I think a good place to start is to stop using the word racism. Its definition has proven to be far too malleable to actually mean anything. Let's call actual racism what it is. Sin. It's sin. Because it's a failure to treat someone with the proper respect they deserve as God's image bearer. Condemning everyone with white skin as racist just because they have white skin does not fall into this category. The great thing about this is if we focus on calling it sin, then first of all, we are once again dealing with an absolute. Sin is a whole lot more difficult to redefine than a word like racism. But also, it reminds us that we're all in the same boat. It reminds me of the story in John 8, where the adulterous woman was brought before Jesus. 
The Jewish teachers said that, according to the law of Moses, such a woman should be stoned. Jesus responded, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And everyone slowly walked away, being well aware of their own sinfulness. And if we focus on sin, rather than some arbitrary definition of racism, we're forced to all turn in the same direction, to Christ. It doesn't work to turn to condemn other people or to turn to steal things from them in an effort to fix past injustices, because even in those actions, we will be reminded of our own sinfulness. No, there is only one solution to this problem, and that is turning to Christ. And then, in Christ, treating all other people as God's image bearers. There was one interaction recently that really exemplified this. A white woman in Washington, D.C. was caught on camera lecturing a group of police officers who were working during a protest. The group of officers was approximately 50% black. She was lecturing them on the finer details of systemic racism when a black officer approached her and said, and I quote, America has a sin problem. The world has a sin problem, ma'am. Okay. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. America and the world has a sin problem. You understand me? That's where racism, injustice, and hate and anger and violence come from. It's not about racism. Unquote. He's absolutely right. It's the sin that we should be focusing on, not some arbitrary redefinition of the word racism. Because sin, well, sin has a solution. And thankfully, that solution does not rely on us. Okay, we made it. That was a lot. That's about all I have time for today. Next episode, we'll actually dig into some of the statistics around systemic racism. Everyone loves statistics, right? Uh, we're going to see if the claims of systemic racism are even credible or if they're a bunch of lies masquerading as the truth. If you appreciated the discussion and are interested in more, I ask that you share and subscribe. Share, of course, to help start the conversation and subscribe simply because I have a day job. So subscribe, sign up for notifications, whatever you have to do to get updated when a new episode comes out. Also, feel free to email me whatever questions or feedback you may have. My email is oct at allmail.net. That's OCT, which stands for One Christian Thinks, at allmail.net. Until next time, keep thinking.